Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 23rd, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news and read some responses in the mailbag. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Slash Film Writer Y-Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. Okay, guys, uh, you know, news has been slowing down here, uh, and I, actually, l- let's start off with the mailbag. Yesterday, we t- talked about the Duffer Brothers getting a Funko Pop, a story that Brad wrote up on the site, and uh, we, we were all, like, theorizing on what um, what filmmakers we would like to see as f- released as Funko Pop figures, and I asked uh, readers to write in and give their suggestions, but before I go to that... Brad, I know that you probably have thought long and hard about this because you are you are a collector of those those pops. Uh, what what directors would you like to see on your shelf? Um, I definitely want a Steven Spielberg one. Uh, I, I wrote in the article when we talked about the uh, the Duffer Brothers uh, new Funko Pop that it would be cool either to have him you know in his old school style baseball caps with sunglasses and stuff from like the seventies and eighties. Or to have him, you know, wearing one of those flip caps or one of his fedoras with his jean jacket and scarf. You know, that would be awesome. You, I would you love need to Mar- have him with the aviator, like the, the metallic glasses. You know, yeah, the old exactly, school, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and so, and then, like, uh, I'd love to see a Scorsese one. That would be awesome. Uh, it would look pretty pretty slick in, in like, a nice suit. Um, Mel Brooks would be a fun one. There's, like, a wide variety of, like, things you could do with Mel Brooks. It would, it, it would be even cool if they did, like, a line of Mel Brooks ones from, like, the characters he's played in all of his movies. Um, I'm, I feel like no, none of the director of Funko Pop so far have like given the directors uh, much in the vein of like signature prop, except for like Guillermo del Toro has his book that he carries with him. And Hi- Alfred Hitchcock one was given like a clapboard, but I would like to see, you know, like a director have with one of those, you know, um, the viewfinders that directors use to fret, like <laughs> set, set up shots and stuff. Um, you know, just like stuff like that, or like, <laughs> like Wes Anderson with like a, a thing of birds, like from the old American Express commercial. Does <laughs> you guys remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I actually love that American Express commercial. 
Um, and if they made a Spielberg, I think I didn't say this yesterday, but I think they should recreate that old photo of Spielberg in the mouth of Jaws. Yeah, should, that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be that would be cool. Anyways, a bunch of readers wrote in and uh, gave their suggestions. We actually got uh, probably more feedback on in, in the mailbag on this this topic than any topic we've ever brought up, which probably shows the uh, <laughs> the mindset of our listeners. Uh, they, they want some director Funko Pop, so I'm I'm gonna. Uh, run through these uh, very briefly, and then I'll, I'll go to you guys and see which ones of these y- y- might be of interest to you. Uh, Rob M. from Maryland said he likes the Wes Craven Funko Pop wearing the Freddy sweater and holding a scream mask. And I think that goes to what you were saying, Brad, of like bringing in kind of like the franchises or like props uh, from those franchises that the filmmakers are a part of. Uh, Jordan from Ohio suggested that he wants to see a Quentin Tarantino Funko Pop, uh, possibly, you, you know, because he has a huge forehead, the slick back brown hair, and maybe wearing his uh, Pulp Fiction uh, black suit. I could to- totally see that. Colin S. from San Jose wants to see a Coen Brothers 2-pack. And uh, also, he's suggesting that we uh, we get the Three Amigos, the three-pack of Three Amigos with Guillermo, uh, uh, Alejandro, and Alfonso Curon as a three-pack. I would buy that in a second. That would start my Funko Pop collection if they, if they came out with that. Uh, Eric S. Uh, from Grand Prairie, uh, Texas, wants to see Tim Burton. He says uh, he's distinguishable enough to have his own Funko Pop, and I, I agree there. Carl M. from New Zealand says Peter Jackson and uh, also David Lynch. I think uh, that could be uh, he has a a very uh, memorable look to him. Scott A. says uh, he has a director that we overlooked. He thinks that the next director after Alfred Hitchcock that they should be considering is Stanley Kubrick. Uh, I agree. But I am not sure if the the Kubrick family would sign off on that idea. Ivan H. suggests a Japanese master series featuring Kurosawa, Miyazaki, uh, Takahara. uh, And uh, I mean, yeah, that that, that would be great. Aaron from Kentucky uh, suggested John Carpenter. I think that could be cool. Spike Lee, uh, Stanley Kubrick. uh, And lastly, Josh from Charlotte, North Carolina sent in a ton of uh, names. I, I'm not going to read them all off here. I'll put them in the show notes, but uh, among them, Clint Eastwood, Ridley Scott, Francis Ford Coppola, John Woo, James Cameron, Steven Soderbergh, Ron Howard, Woody Allen, and Ed Wood. Although I'm not sure if anybody actually knows what Ed Wood looks like. I think everybody just pictures Johnny Depp as Ed Wood. And I'm wondering if Funko, even a company like Funko would make a Woody Allen Funko pop at this point during like, you know, the height of the Me Too, uh, uh, you know, world. Uh, among all the the names that were listed there, HT, are there any that uh, that jump out at you that you'd want to own on your shelf? I think I'd definitely go with the, a John Woo one. That would be really cool. And um, what else? I'm, I'm shocked uh, you didn't want a Mizaki. Oh, wait, I totally missed the Miyazaki one. Yes, Miyazaki, for sure. <laughs> I was zoning out a little bit. Yeah. There are a lot of names. Miyazaki, definitely, is my number one pick. I would take 10 Miyazakis. That would be adorable. Um, I'd want else? him with, like, like the little creature, like, little small creatures on his, like, shoulders the, the and ka- stuff. The Kodamo from yeah. Mononoke. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> that would be so cool. Um, oh, sorry, Orson I got excited Wells for a second. That would be awesome. Which one? I'm sorry? Orson Welles with a sled. 
Oh yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> that would be good. I'd get Orson yeah, Welles. Get props. Uh, which of these, uh, Brad, did, did uh, sparked your imagination? Is there any that you would want? Um, yeah, that's a good question, actually. <laughs> I mean, like, I've, I've, I feel like the John Carpenter one would probably be really fun to do. For sure. Okay, anyways, thank you all for your suggestions. Uh, you can always write us at the mailbag at peter at com. If you ever write in, please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. Uh, but let's jump into the news, which there isn't a whole lot of, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of slowed down around here. Uh, but let's, uh, l- let's jump into it anyways. And let's start off with uh, Netflix developing a Death Note sequel. HT, why? That is the question, isn't it? So um, despite abysmal reviews and a controversy about the whitewashing of the film that has sunk other blockbuster films before it, uh, Netflix has decided to go ahead with developing a Death Note sequel, uh, this time with uh, Greg Rousseau on board to pen the film. We don't know if Adam Wingard will return to direct. But this was hidden inside a Hollywood Reporter report about the um, – future slate of Netflix's original films. And it was kind of hidden in here where uh, the chief content officer, Ted Sarandos, called the first Death Note a sizable success. And uh, that's the reason that they want to uh, go forward with a sequel. Is is anybody interested in seeing this? I, I feel like people were interested in the first one and ended up being, you know, not good. Uh, like, do you think people are actually gonna, I mean, does it even matter on Netflix? No one knows what anybody is watching on Netflix. Netflix is the only ones that know, like even the filmmakers that work in Netflix don't know how many people have watched their movies or TV shows. Like, does it even matter? Like, can they just like be producing sequels of a movie? Like, like what holds them accountable for a success anyways? I think those are really good questions that I I don't know the answer to because I think even um, Netflix, Netflix's uh, chief uh, Reed Hastings has said in response to like the 13 Reasons Why backlash, uh, nobody has to watch it. Quote. So I think that like they don't even care as much whether like people watch it. They want they care if people talk about it. And Death Note did certainly get a lot of people talking. If for the wrong reason. So, um, yeah, I just I, I don't really know if there's an audience for Death Note 2 because we don't know anything about Netflix's statistics. We don't know whether people are actually interested interested or liking it. I mean, we were kind of wrong with um, with Bright because I remember no one we thought that no one really liked Bright, but then people came out in defense of that film and really were looking forward to a sequel. So there is possibly just like a hidden cache of <laughs> a, a hardcore Death Note fans. I actually a fan of the uh, death note manga series and the um <laughs> surprisingly the japanese live action films that were uh, adapted from the manga series which were like incredibly campy and fun uh but i was not i could not really get excited about this the netflix death note and i think it really kind of lost the the core of the manga series that made it so fun and so interesting so yeah, I don't. I think that it might have lost the anime and and manga fans as well. So I don't really know where the where the audience is. Yeah, I'm not sure. But uh, speaking of sequels, let's move on to the Top Gun sequel, Maverick. Uh, they're uh, rounding out their casting. And uh, Brad, you wrote an article for the site this morning uh, talking about all all the new names. Uh, tell us about it. 
Yeah, so uh, you know, earlier this week there were a number of younger cast members that were that were added, seemingly filling out the what will likely be uh, a new set of trainees going through the the Top Gun flight school that we saw from the original movie. Um, and so now we're getting to get uh, some more uh, older, more experienced actors in the mix. John Hamm and Ed Harris are now among the cast. Uh, we don't know who they're playing. Uh, we don't know who either of them are playing, but it's not too hard to picture them both playing the kind of characters that James Tolkien and Michael Ironside played in the original Top Gun. Um, you know, it's especially when it comes to Ed Harris, he's got that rough around the edge, edges kind of superior officer feel to him. Uh, and then John Hamm could, go, you know, I could see him being more serious in, the, in that kind of role too, but he could also maybe be the more chill superior officer you know among among the group there uh but that's all speculation on my part and then uh lewis pullman has also been added to a cast he's another younger face uh, he's the son of bill pullman and he was recently in strangers pray at night and he's also got a role in the upcoming bad times at the el royale and we don't know who he's playing either but um considering the ensemble of young actors they're likely going to be a good ensemble um of trainees who are going through training and uh getting shown the ropes by Tom Cruise as Maverick. I mean, these names certainly make more, me more excited. Top Gun was never a movie that like was one of the movies I loved growing up. I know some of my friends, it was one of their favorite films. And uh, but these names do get me a, a little bit more excited for this this the sequel that honestly I thought we would never get. Uh, but let's move on. Uh, the review embargo for the Happy Time Murders, the Brian Henson uh, R-rated puppet. Uh, film noir movie uh you know it's coming out uh this week and uh the 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 first reviews hit the web last night and uh people hate it uh so hd you did a roundup of uh, all the all the early buzz What, what did people say so several critics called the happy time murders the, one of the worst releases of the summer, if not of the year. Uh, IndieWire, Screen Crush, and Vanity Fair all uh, sort of um, repeated that sentiment. And a few other uh, critics uh, were a little bit kinder, but were mostly still uh, pretty brutal on this film. Uh, there's only one or two positive reviews, one of which is from uh, IGN, which uh, says that the puppeteering and clever screenplay make a statement. Uh, and another is from Jeff Snyder, who is uh, a reporter in the Hollywood scoop business, who says that it was a R-rated puppet comedy, and that's kind of what you get with the uh, with the premise. But most people called it tasteless, not unfunny. Um, uh, IndieWire calls it an admirably debased but deeply unfunny <laughs> puppet noir that opens with a porn addicted bunny getting his head blown off. So it's it's a very unpopular film, and definitely um, one of the more uh, sort of brutal takedowns we've seen of films this year. Yeah, I am so shocked to see this because I saw this film earlier this week and uh, I will say I was excited to see this film and it was disappointing, uh, but I thought it was fun, even though it's kind of disposable and shallow. I think the world the movie creates is is kind of interesting and I would have loved to have seen more done there. Maybe that's a, you know, backhanded uh, insult to the film, but uh, or a negative, but um I don't know. I, I just don't see this as the worst movie of the year. So I wanted to ask you guys what you thought your you know the worst movies you have seen thus far this year. Uh, let's start with you, Brad. Uh, so I've I've actually been done a pretty good job of avoiding a lot of really bad movies, just because 
I mean, normally I'll go out of my way to see them just so I can have my own opinion. Uh, and because I want to see how bad some of them really are after the reviews start rolling in. Um, but this year I haven't really gone out of my way to do a lot of that. Um, and so I feel like the, the worst movie that I've seen is probably Rampage, which I thought was just stupid and ridiculous and nowhere near as fun as it should have been. And I just I didn't really enjoy watching it very much. And I was just it was just a, a total whatever to me. Um, I, I know that it's probably not the worst movie of the year because there's things out there like. Wait, you, uh, you also went to Sundance. You must have seen something worse than Rampage of Sundance. No, I. Honestly, no, I didn't. I actually, I actually had a, a really good Sundance this year. Like even the movies that I wasn't super keen on, I wouldn't say they were worse than Rampage. Um, and by that, they- I want to clarify myself here. You know, I go to Sundance every year. We see, you know, what twenty movies or something like that. And yeah. generally, you end up seeing one or two movies that are like really, really bad. When you're, you know, rolling the dice and going to a movie based, you know, based on almost nothing the title the people in it uh you know one sentence plot synopsis you know you don't know what you're going to get and usually the result uh sometimes you know yeah, like like even, even, yeah even the couple movies that like i didn't enjoy much at sundance and like um i yeah i wouldn't say that they were the worst movie of the year or worse than rampage and i'm sure that movies like uh action point and show dogs are significantly worse than uh the happy time murders so <laughs> Yeah, I would have to think so. And I, I do want to add on to what you said. Um, I used to be one of those people that wanted to see everything early on and be, you know, uh, to discover movies that were great. Now, I'm, I'm as I'm getting older, I'm finding myself more content on, you know, not being at that first screening. And, uh, you know, if it's something that I'm not super excited about, waiting to hear the buzz uh, from reviews and, uh, you know, film Twitter and, and just seeing what people are saying and going based, you know, going my time. I'm finding my time to be more valuable, I guess, and uh, I'm investing it more wisely. Um, this year, I saw a bunch of bad movies. I'm not sure what the worst was, but uh, Rampage was one of them. Cloverfield Paradox was another. Pacific Rim Uprising. Uh, Skyscraper. A Wrinkle in Time, sadly. Um, HT, what about you? Yeah, I haven't actually seen that many movies that I would say were outright terrible. Some of the movies I kind of agree with with you, right, where I watched them, like A Wrinkle in Time, um, uh, maybe like, oh yeah, Cloverfield Paradox, Tomb Raider, where I was more just like disappointed and kind of left a little numb, but nothing that I had like a strong reaction to. Uh, although except maybe like Brad Rampage and probably this is going to be a very unpopular one, Ready Player One. No, me, which I know, I know. <laughs> I just like okay. It. I mean, I was willing to give it a chance because you know I hated the book so much, and I was like, you know, maybe the movie will be better, and it was better than the book, but it was bad in a different way. In that it was just, it felt like it was assaulting my senses in a way that was just like a visual overstimulation, and it felt very just like cacophonous and not uninteresting to me. When there's just too much going on on screen, too much information, I just felt myself just zoning out half the time. And I think that was kind of the worst thing for me is that it was just doing so much and left me feeling so little. Yeah, and there's, um, you know, there, there's, uh, I was looking at some list of what people think are the worst movies of the year, and, and on those lists are a bunch of the movies we mentioned, Truth or Dare, Sherlock Gnomes, Gaudy, which I don't think any of us have seen, uh, Winchester, Death Wish, um, Overboard. Brad, did you see Overboard? 
No, it did not look good to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel pretty, uh, which is actually from the trailers. I wanted to see it, but I heard so many bad things about it that I, I just did not uh, even try. Um, but yeah, so the, the uh, Den of Thieves and uh, what was that new Mark Wahlberg movie? Oh, Mile 22. Mile 22. It was funny. Uh, David Elric actually opened his Happy Time Murders review up with an apology to Mark Wahlberg and uh, Peter Berg because he called that the worst movie of the year and just a week later he had to apologize and say that he was wrong so <laughs> I thought that was funny anyways uh, I'm, I'm curious if there's if you guys out there have seen any really bad movies this year that came out this year that we have not mentioned and if we have not mentioned it then it's probably not on our, our radar I, I want to know what was the worst movie you saw this year that you know is out of this out of this uh uh batch I'm sure there's a bunch of netflix movies that we're not even thinking about too oh yeah i'm sure well i mean well cloverfield paradox qualifies as that for sure uh but yeah so send us to send us uh your picks to peter at slash film.com and uh if they're interesting we'll read them on a future edition of the podcast but let's move on to our next topic in this news discussion and that is Wonder Woman 1984 has gotten has announced their composer. Brad, tell us about it. Yeah, it's a, a pretty exciting, um, I think, upgrade in my opinion. Um, the The original score uh, for Wonder Woman was was pretty solid. I you know I I enjoy the theme, but that came from um, the Batman vs Superman introduction of Wonder Woman. But Rupert Grace and Williams still did. A pretty good job making uh, a solid score for it but for wonder woman 1984 um we're getting hans zimmer who is probably best known for providing the score for all the christopher nolan batman movies and having him on board is definitely i think going to make this movie uh, even more epic than the first one um hans zimmer just has a way with his orchestral arrangements that has really brought uh, a lot of life to dc movies and uh, he's just he's really just one of the best, you know, composers out there. Like Hans Zimmer is among the household names that you hear when people know uh, people who have scored movies among you know, the likes of John Williams and things like that. So, yeah, yeah and I'm his, really excited to hear what he does. His score for The Dark Knight, I think, is still one of my favorites of all time. So uh, if he could if he could bring even a tenth of that to Wonder Woman, I would be happy. Um, HT, how do you feel about this news? I know you're a big uh, Wonder Woman fan. I'm excited. Uh, I remember Hans Zimmer was the one who composed Wonder Woman's first sort of uh, issue with you uh, introduction theme. And they reused that for Wonder Woman. uh, And uh, maybe they'll kind of reimagine it for Wonder Woman 1984, which I'm very excited for. Perhaps a few more electric guitars. Oh, I'm excited for him to sort of tap into maybe the synth of uh, 80s music and see if he plays with that a little bit. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That would be that would be fantastic. I am so excited. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's move on from a DC movie to the DC universe. And I'm not talking about uh, DC EU or whatever it's called. I'm talking about this new online service that's kind of like the Netflix for DC. Uh, they're going to launch their own daily show hosted by Kevin Smith. Uh, Ichi, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? 
Yes. So uh, DC Universe, which is the digital subscription service launching uh, soon, is going to be launching its own daily show called DC Daily, which provide fans with superhero news, guest appearances, interviews, and panel discussions about all things DC Comics and its several titles and TV shows. And the first host for this series, this uh, daily show, will be Kevin Smith. He won't be hosting the entire series, but he'll be kicking off the launch of the um, of the show with a inaugural live stream beginning on August 29th. So that will be kind of him introducing what the show is about, uh, as well as the new 2100 square foot set that they've built for the show at the Warner Brothers Digital Networks location in Burbank. I don't know, guys. I like you know. I want. I, I love that we live in a world that, uh, you know, these comic book companies are are getting their own Netflix like service like services, like that to me is exciting. But do we really need a daily DC news show? And I know this is like a little hypocritical. This coming from the guy that hosts, and we you know we run we publish a daily movie news show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, we don't even have a bit of D- DC news on every episode. Like, is there enough there? Uh, I mean, if, if you combine all of the news with comics, TV, movies, I think it's possible. Um, and it seems also they'll be doing, they'll be like, uh, changing things up with panels and celebrity guests. So I think they could do something. I mean, I probably, I don't think they'll have an audience that tunes in every day. It seems to be something that's more just kind of like something that shows up every now and then and maybe goes viral once in a while. But I don't think it'll have like a huge impact. It's just kind of like a, a hub for all DC comics news. I don't know. I feel like you're being optimistic about this. Like, I, I watch <laughs> nice. uh, every week the Star Wars show happens every Wednesday on YouTube. And I feel like that's a great example. It's a 10 to 15 minute show produced by Disney and Lucasfilm. And it does a great job on a weekly basis. But I couldn't even imagine that more than a, on a weekly basis. Uh, Brad, is a DC daily show something that you would even entertain watching? Uh, I mean, me personally, no, simply because I'm not invested in much of the stuff that's going on with DC right now. I don't watch any of the Arrowverse shows. Um, I, I might, you know, give the Titans and Doom Patrol shows and whatnot a chance, but then I would have to pay for DC Universe, and it's not something that I'm too keen on signing up for at this this point in time. Um, but, like, I can't argue with the fact that, like, there's so much happening with DC properties every day that like having a daily new show to cover all the stuff, whether it's comics, uh, you know, TV shows, movies, streaming service stuff like there's always plenty, plenty going on, uh, you know, and Marvel has had their own, you know, YouTube show for for a while, too, where they recap the same kinds of things happening, um, you know, and DC has actually kind of done this on YouTube for a little while. It's it wasn't quite the same kind of production. But they they have a this thing called DC All Access on YouTube where they uh, it's usually like ten to fifteen minute things where they talk about a bunch of different things happening with DC characters and properties and stuff. Uh, so this is just seems like more of an upgrade yeah. where they're trying to follow in the footsteps of the, all the uh, post shows that have been on AMC and uh, also like Beyond Stranger Things on Netflix and stuff like that. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just that it's DC. Like I'm trying to think if Marvel was doing this, would I be more excited? Would I be uh, you know, putting it it's on my list? It's no different than the Star Wars show either, you know? I mean, but the Star Wars people... show is weekly though. Like I, that's, 
That's true. I don't, but but Star Wars also doesn't have nearly as many comic books or like or, or shows or things like that that they're juggling. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll have to see. It'll be interesting when Disney launches their streaming service if they're gonna present more comment uh, content like regarding like Marvel and Star Wars if that's gonna be expanded in a big way. Uh, we'll have to see. But we have reached the end of the news, guys. Uh, congratulations, uh, Brad. Where can we find more of your work online? There's a website called SlashFilm.com that I hear you should check out. I write some stuff over there from time to time. You can also check me out on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And also my podcast, Go Flicks Yourself, which is full of stupid laughs and profanity and chatter about movies. HD, where can we find more of your work online? I'm also every day at SlashFilm.com and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find this podcast published every weekday on SlashFilm.com and all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, peter at SlashFilm.com. Leave your name and general geographic location. In case we mention the email on the air, please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you tomorrow.